Welcome back. I'm Jay Scott, and this is the Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Thanks again for tuning in once again. We do appreciate it. Always appreciate you giving us a listen and taking time out of your day to listen to us. Don't forget to write us a review. Let us know what you think at the end of the episode. We do appreciate that as well. We are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, a great network of music-related podcasts, the official podcast platform for Metallica. So check out their podcast on our platform too, as well, as well as the many other great music podcasts on Pantheon Podcast. There's something for everyone. There's so much diverse topics about music on the platform. You can find them at PantheonPodcast.com, as well as on social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Pantheon Pods. And you can do the same with the Hook Rocks on all three of those platforms just search up the hook rocks and don't forget to set your app to automatic download so you get the latest episodes right to your phone and you get to enjoy all the old ones that we've done in the past we just celebrated our 500th episode with dax nielsen of cheap trick and our four-year anniversary with nita strauss some of our recent shows have included tracy guns celebrating the life of eddie van halen on the anniversary of his passing So check that out. That was a great conversation with Tracy. We also did our quarterly album top 10 rankings that we do every three months. So check that out. Let that be a gateway to new music and new bands and artists that you may not hear on a regular basis because a lot of them or most of them are not on mainstream or in mainstream music as we know because rock and roll is more or less underground these days, which is great. And also check out our updated conversation with our music business insider on the latest with live nation chat gpt tiktok streaming and the recent sale of Bandcamp. so check out all those great episodes and more and we have the pleasure of another episode another great interview that i've been looking forward to for the last few weeks i was turned on to this artist by jason and brian from my friends at the all things blues and southern rock podcast so I, I thank them and my guest today is emily wolf what's happening how are you emily hey i'm great how are you i'm doing well thank you for doing this i look forward to getting to know you over the next 45 minutes or so so again thank you for the time yeah likewise thanks for having me i'm excited to chat about music always always right i mean that's got i got do that 24 hours a day. Even when I sleep, I'd be happy. So <laughs> uh, we always start out the same way every time we have a first time guest. And that's really what the show is all about. And just like every rock song has a hook that pulls you in, every rock band has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band or performance that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you? 
Ooh, hooked me on rock and roll. I think what I would say is the song Sleeping Bag by ZZ Top. Um, that song is such a cross-genre song. It's got, like, dance elements, that, like, chunky guitar thing that I love, and then these cool, like, flat-back vocals that are just really iconic-sounding. Um, that song, I... I I think that hooked me hooked because my dad would always listen to that, that stuff when I was growing up. And um, yeah, I don't know. Something about that song just being so different in terms of um, like what, you know, like the, 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 the normal rock song. I think that's the song that made me understand that it was possible to mix different genres together. That's the Afterburner album, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah no i remember that album well um that was when zz top i think was well i, I say this facetiously but they co-owned mtv during that generation that was just they were all over the place they did i didn't know that that's awesome oh yeah the during the eliminator album and then with afterburner i mean they were all over mtv with those videos and those you know, the dry humor that they had and, and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, they were, they were big early to mid eighties. They were, they were a big presence on MTV. That's awesome, man. I wish I had lived then. <laughs> yeah. There were some really cheesy, cheesy videos back then. I mean, just, I think it was just because it was a new, you know, platform that really no one knew what to do. And, you look back at some of these videos in, in, you know, from the eighties, whether it's ZZ Top or Van Halen or Pat Benatar or whoever it was. And it was all just this newness and everybody was trying to figure out what to do with it. And there was a lot of crazy stuff. So it was really interesting back then. Yeah. That's awesome. I do remember pop up video being a big part of my life as a kid. Yeah. I miss that whole era, you know, like what a great. cool concept. Yeah. That was great. So where did it go from there from ZZ Top, Sleeping Bag? When did it propel you to want to be an artist, to want to perform on stage? Well, I was super, super shy as a kid. I've played guitar my whole life since I was five, just because like the first time I saw a guitar was, I feel like that's the one of my first memories that I really still hold on to. Because when I saw a guitar for the first time, I just felt like, oh, that's the thing that I need to do. That is the coolest thing I've ever seen. I need to figure out everything there is to know about this instrument. And so I was really shy at the same time. And so I kind of, growing up, I would just lock myself in my room and try and teach myself guitar. And um, and as the years went on, I would I would write music and it was bad music, you know. <laughs> but it was music nonetheless. And um, I think, well, so when I was, it was, when was it? After freshman year of college, that's when I really started to find my voice um, in a literal sense. And because and, I was afraid to sing, I was really shy. And I, I, I didn't tell anybody that I was a musician. My parents knew, my, my sister knew, and a handful of people knew. but. I, I didn't really sing until I was like 20 
um, just because a really bad breakup kind of ignited this this thing in me that I wanted to get up on stage and and show people what I could do. Um, and so in college, I, I put this little acoustic record out, and and by that I mean I gave it away to my friends in college, <laughs> and um, it was uh, it, it started to kind of spiral from there, and I started to get hit up by promoters around town in Austin and um you know they're like do you want to open this show at this little venue and and I guess from there I realized that it was possible and something that I really truly love to do um and it was just a matter of breaking out of my own shell and shyness and sometimes it takes you know really kind of traumatic events to do that and so that's how it kind of began to snowball and then let's see I'm, I'm 33 now so over the past 13 years I've developed this this sound that I'm really proud of and um really worked up my guitar chops and um now I'm here <laughs> did you find that the attraction to the guitar you mentioned your shyness you know growing up did you find that it was, did it spoke for you? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And it's interesting because it was something about the vibration of the strings that made me feel really at home um, and made me feel like I didn't need to use words to, to describe how I felt. I could just play, you know, even if it was to nobody, I felt better every time I sat down with a guitar um and then yeah as I broke out of my shell you know if I feel any type of way I love to just perform um because that's the best way that I know how to connect with people um so yeah that's yeah guitar is definitely the way that I connect and communicate with people as best I know how I've had this conversation with many guitar players on the show and I always say the same thing. Like when you look at the instrument, just look at it on its surface. It's very limited, right? I mean, there's only so much just by looking at it you can do with it. However, it's up to the player to unlock anything beyond those limitations, right? I yeah. mean, you know, we just celebrated the life of Eddie Van Halen. I mean, I don't know if there's any bigger example of someone that took those limitations and far exceeded what anyone thought that the guitar could do. When you approach that instrument and when you have these emotions and you have this instrument that speaks for you, how do you approach it? How do you attack? How do you how do you phrase things with the guitar? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and it, the the thing that comes to mind immediately is like the 30 seconds right before I hit the first note of a show. And it's like, there's a zone that I get into when it's like, I kind of, I, I kind of breathe in, put my guitar on and then it starts to meld to my body in like a spiritual way. Um, and 
I'm like, okay, this is like the mouthpiece now, like, let's go. And so every, every emotion that I feel like I've ever felt, I, I make sure to put it in a bend, a, you know, a, a low E string bend and then a fuzz pedal on it. And then, so that's like the anger I feel or, you know, sadness, like the weepy things, like real clean and reverb, reverbed out. Um, but it's like this, like the strings of a guitar are so, the, it, the instrument itself offers such a, a canvas for, for emotion because you really can do really anything with it and and your hand truly makes it sing you know like my left hand and then the pick it's like the way the the way that I bend will allow whatever I'm trying to say come out if that makes sense um but when I approach the guitar I it's like a combination of like a like sadness but also like an aggression like I want to attack the guitar like I want to make it hurt you know but it's also like kind of like yeah do it go for it like my guitar I feel like it's kind of a masochist um if that that makes any sense but it's I don't know I just I think I mean I sit down at other instruments and I love to play other instruments but guitar is just such a part of me that it it really does open up my my emotional kind of walls that I tend to put up when I'm not on stage um I hope that answers the question I'm not no sure it, does. it does but yeah, yeah okay. no absolutely he, the blues is very prevalent in your your music and you mentioned ZZ Top and you mentioned also playing a guitar when you were five was the blues your earliest influences what you know when, that made you pick up the guitar? Actually, no, I didn't. I think the the thing that really was the biggest influence as as I started out was classic rock, and then um, I grew up religious. I'm I'm not religious anymore, but my my parents, you know, like any you know proper uh, proper suburban Christian family took my sister and I at church all the time and I got to watch a band play every Sunday. And that's why I love to go to church. Like I didn't care about the message. I just wanted to see <laughs> people play instruments. And so um, I think it, it, you know, I feel like Sundays were, were the best days for me because we would go to church. I would get to watch a band play and then we would go home and my dad would be like, all right, let's watch the car. And so I would help him wash the car and he would throw on classic rock in the garage and we would just wash his car together. And so that those days were always really special to me because they were such um, foundational, so foundational to like what I, what I feel to be music uh, that I most connect with. And so between seeing a live band every Sunday and that, you know, classic rock thing. And then I would go inside and my mom would be cleaning or cooking with Motown playing. And so those things all kind of melded together as I grew up and, and formed this thing that I, I 
know is music and what I like to create. And um, so, yeah, I'd be outside and I would hear a guitar riff and then I would go inside and hear these incredible arrangements in Motown music. And so that was the blueprint for me. Um, and then in college, I got really into the blues because of like <laughs> illegal music sharing platforms. <laughs> um, and so like, you know, somebody's library would pop up on, on my computer and I'd see like Stevie Ray Vaughan, B.B. King, Albert King, um, you know, all these incredible blues players. And then so I went down rabbit holes on YouTube of watching live performances of these blues artists and connecting with not just the music, but also like mainly their performance kind of, you know, the, the, the performances that they had. And it's all so emotional. Like if you watch B.B. King play, he doesn't play a lot of notes, but when he does, they mean something and he says something with every single thing that he does. And so that, is something that I took away from the blues. It's like, if you're going to play a note, it's got to say something. Um, so all those kind of elements are really foundational to what I do. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it, the blues, like I, 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 it's interesting because blues is such a, an important part of rock. Um, and you know, like, I mean, all like a lot of the ZZ Top stuff is blues. It's just a different rhythm. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's all kind of a mixture of that stuff. Yeah, Billy Gibbons. I mean, I know a lot of people know ZZ Top through Eliminator and Afterburner in the 80s, but there's stuff from the 70s, you know, whether it's Jesus Just Left Chicago or... LaGrange or Tush it's just he's such an incredible player and the blues obviously growing up in Chicago for me was always prevalent and it was always there and as I got older I really understood and appreciated the meaning behind it because what's so beautiful about the blues is how it's intertwined with our history especially over the last 100 years you know, the civil rights movement and slavery and the industrial revolution where families from the South, from the Delta, Louisiana, moved up, you know, to Chicago because of industry. And that's how they came, you know, the Chicago blues as, as it's defined now. And, you know, just hearing in the individual players, like you said, BB King or Buddy Guy or Magic Sam. You know, they can play, all three of them can have a version of Sweet Home Chicago, and it all sounds different. And mm -hmm. because it's so pure and it comes from such a place of emotion and become, it comes from a place of poverty, um, it's it's so raw and authentic. And there's never been a, a form of music that's ever matched that authenticity and that rawness and that honesty other than the blues. It's true. And it's interesting too, because when I watch BB King play, like videos of BB King play, I feel like I, I know what he's been through. Like, I feel like what he's playing is just, here's what I've been through in musical form. 
and it's really interesting and so human and just like such a thing that I strive to create in my own live shows. Have you ever heard Buddy Guy's version of Red House? No, I haven't. Oh, it's not on Spotify. You can only find it on YouTube. But okay. at some point, search up Buddy Guy Red House and the way he bends the string in that song and the way he bends his strings it's just it's breathtaking it's just oh my he came and believe it and then magic sam's boogie which is this live black and white video of him not even using a pick and just doing this crazy i've seen i've heard people talk about that as one of the hardest pieces of guitar to ever play to ever be played but it sounds so seamless and it sounds so simple but it's the way he mutes the strings and plays the strings at the same time. It's just like people have taken months to try to figure out how to play that. Wow. I just yeah, love those old awesome. plays. I could talk to blues. For, I could talk about blues forever. I just love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So you've got some new music coming out too, as well. You've got um, a couple new singles and, and it's interesting that you said about afterburner and sleeping bag about how it, meshed a lot of different genres together and you know you kind of like that and you know the one single that you did is you know walk in my shoes it's i hear that influence of that too that 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 mesh of different genres obviously it's rock and blues based and we all know that but it does have a little bit of funk in it It has a little bit of motown in it too as well and you can you can groove to it. You can dance to it. And when you said Sleeping Bag, I immediately thought of that single. Like, yeah, I can totally hear it now. I totally get it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's I that that song was such a blueprint for Walk in My Shoes because it's so punchy. And the the message of that song is so punchy. You know, it's I mean, it's about abortion. And so um I thought, what better way? to get a message across and to put it in a song that you can't get out of your head um, because it's such an important message. You know, like if, 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 if it's in your head as a song, maybe it could translate into um, thinking about maybe I should walk in someone else's shoes. Maybe I should put myself in a situation that I am not used to. Maybe I should, have more empathy for people's experiences that are not my own. Um, and I mean, sleeping bag is always in my head. It's just like that sense part. Like it's all there. It's it's like in there all the time. <laughs> so, um, and I want it, especially with like the drum production. Like I, there's a part of, the drum production that is really cool in that song. I, I, I wanted the snare to be really have a lot of character, but not be too arena rock because there's a line there that like when you cross it, it's just so obvious. And so I thought, okay, I can't put a clap sample over the snare because that crosses into a territory that doesn't make sense for this. And so the engineer I was working with, you know, we talked through, I was like, how do I get like a weird character to this? And so we went into the garage 
next to the studio and I was like what about all these nails and bolts like do you have like a, a pin that I can just like you know and he was like yeah here's a metal trash can so all these snare like all the snare hits have over it just me in the studio with nails and bolts in a trash can just pounding those and and it's really cool because it adds this like kind of the sound almost of oppression if that makes sense like canes and like um and so the production of, of, of all that dz top stuff really translated into this and of course the 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 vocal treatment as well like the the, the, the small amount of slap was a very billy gibbons thing to kind of emulate so yeah no it, it, it's a great song it's very catchy like you said um and it it does you know it it hits all the buttons you know in terms of what you were trying to do and yeah i I heard that and then when you said the you talked about sleeping bag i'm like it just the light bulb went on like boom there there it is yeah (laughs) so it makes sense so and you you've got the new album coming out too as well later this month called blowback comes out on october 20th what was that like creating for you on this? I mean, obviously, as an artist, you always want to have a, a, a different approach or you, you figure out what approach you want to take whenever you're recording new music. What did you want to try to accomplish with this record? I wanted to make a record that fully reflected how I felt in that moment, which a lot of it was just rage. Rage, and then there's some songs on there that there's a song on there called Hopeless and Panorama, which is a very Americana approach to how I was feeling. And um, that one, it, it kind of opens up the whole door of like, okay, there's something for everybody on this record in terms of like, if you want to throw something on to work out to, or if you want to drive really fast down the highway. Or if you want to cry and alone in your car because somebody broke up with you, like every song is so different on this record. And I almost feel like I wanted to en- encapsulate every range of emotion that I felt over the past year and a half um, into a, into an album. And it was one of the coolest experiences that I've ever had producing it myself because I got to finally get into the driver's seat and try everything I wanted to try sonically. And there wasn't anybody telling me, you know, this lyric, you know, you need to change this lyric. There wasn't that. It was like, okay, this is what I want to say. <laughs> and um, I'm, I'm so excited about it. I'm so excited to share it with people because, not only was it that, but I really wanted to empower people. And if somebody hears this record, I want them to feel like they are in their own driver's seat. Um, and they're, they're the number one, you know, because this record is so much about stepping into your own power and feeling your own emotions and not being apologetic for any of it. Um, so. I'm I'm just really excited for people to hear it and to play it live and um, 
I think it's probably one of the most the, the I think it's the proudest I've ever been of a record. You mentioned the rage of emotion that you were feeling when you started to record and create this record. How did you how how did you harness that rage? Because I'm sure this you don't go into every record with a, a rage. You know, I mean, this obviously were, there were things happening in the world. Obviously, you speak about the emotion with your music and how it affects your attack on guitar. So you have this rage, and you and and you have something to say as a result of it. How did you how did you harness that? I think through the lyrics. Um, I I experienced a really intense thing. Um, it was quite a betrayal of someone close to me last year, and um, it ended up kind of coming out in the first song off the record called Silencer. Um, it's a it's a really heavy topic, but it's about it's. I wrote this song for survivors of sexual assault, and the lyrics are very heavy, and it and it's for them, um, and the whole concept of like victim blaming that comes along with going to police about it. Um, I felt like the best way to combat that whole thing was to write a song about it and to sing it really well, put some punk vocals in the second chorus, um, you know, quadruple stereo guitars, just really intense. And I, <laughs> I've never done that before. I've never written anything like that because I am used to writing songs that are very much based on love or breakups or, or, um, you know, just kind of wanting to riff rock, but this this particular song, and then a lot of the other songs on the record were very lyrically driven. In that, I wanted to kind of seek revenge, <laughs> um, and so I think that's why I'm so excited to share it because I feel like it has the potential to help people, and it has the potential to allow others to step into their own power and and not blame themselves for things like that um and so it is a really it's a really heavy subject um and it was really intense to sing and the lyrics are just very a lot you know but playing that song live which I've been doing over the past couple of months is really healing and really exciting um and so that's kind of how it came out is the lyric the lyrics i, I really just kind of I, I had to write about that stuff to feel better through this whole period of my life um i think that's how all that happened <laughs> writing a song about something like that that's so sensitive Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, 
Even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. You have a lot of thoughts, I can imagine, about what you want to convey and what you want to what you want to share and how you want to share it. And you have, like I said, you have all these thoughts in your head. How do you, how do you filter all that into a three to five minute song and get your point across? And it was really tough because I had like paragraphs of things. And so essentially what I did was just word vomit and then pick the lines that I felt most represented how I felt and um and it was a lot of stuff to pick through uh and I've reworked the lyrics so many times like even up to the last day to where I was recording the vocals for it like because every word had to be perfect to me and every word had to be correct in terms of like the the sonics of the word and like um the 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 emotion of each sentence you know had to make sense and it also had to pull people in and it's like putting a puzzle together really it's like okay name one word that can make somebody feel this way and then sounds like this and then I have to like really sit down and really think you know what word needs to go here which is the fun part about writing is it's it's really a puzzle. Um, and it wasn't easy, I will say, but it was it was really rewarding when I did it, you know, when it finally got to where it needed to be. 
You mentioned that this album allowed you the freedom to create because you produced it yourself and you were you were in the driver's seat pretty much for the whole record. Did you find it more difficult to to get what you wanted to get across and in, in your approach because of that freedom. Obviously freedom sounds like, Oh, it's going to be great. I can do what I want, but there's challenges to that too. Like you've got to, you know, you, you've got to be that voice in the room as well as, you know, the, the creator of saying, well, that's not good enough. That needs to be better. That, you know, that, that, that needs a little bit more. How did you deal with those, those new challenges that maybe you never faced before when you're, when you were creating this album? Yeah, I <clears throat> I pretty much had to split myself into two different people, the artist and then the producers, and toggle back and forth between those two roles. And it was really mentally draining, but it was so fun too at the same time because you know, as like if if someone else had produced it, I could have just kind of sat back on the couch and been like, "What do you want me to play? Let's do it." But instead i i was for i forced myself really to get to the to be the person that was like this 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 happens this happens you need to do this like while at the same time motivating a group of people motivating myself making sure all the lyrics were correct and all the sounds were correct and all the you know each compressor was right for each song and each mic sounded the way it should and picking all of the gear like I think I just realized how much I love to do that and up until this point I worked at a music shop and I worked in the back and just by myself and I would check in all the audio gear and so over the four years that I worked in this music shop I really learned the ins and outs of every mic there is every compressor you know like the way that everything sounds. And so I had such a, such an idea of how gear sounds and like what sounds like what. And so I took that with me into the producer role and was able to say, let's use an LA-2A on the vocals here. Let's use a DB, you know, DBX compressor here. Let's put the mic on the back of the shoulders to get the stereo image of the drums instead of in the front, you know? So like these things that I, I learned through a job that I really hated, I carried with me into this role and it was so rewarding. And it gave me hope that, okay, if there's something I'm going through that I absolutely hate, there's going to be a lesson in it and I'm going to be able to use that. So that was another kind of healing aspect of producing this record is like, yeah, I mean, I had to work the whole daily job and during COVID and it sucked. And, but now I know all this stuff and now I can produce my own records now. And it, it was really kind of an interesting cue to drop in my brain. Um, like, Oh, that's okay. That's why that happened. You know? Um, and it it was definitely a challenge, but it was a challenge that was really rewarding, especially at the end. Um, I don't think I've been 
nearly as detailed with my previous records as I have this one because I had to be, you know, I had to, I mean, I had to write the schedule out. What are we doing today? What are we doing tomorrow? How many hours do we have to do guitars here? You know, what's the budget of this? Uh, you know, all the little things that a producer does had to, <laughs> had to always be in the back of my mind. And so with that, I essentially had to write the songs before, like, like flesh out all the songs before I went in, which I demoed every song out in real, like really in detail. And then, so in order to produce the record, be in the tracking room and not performing, but also hearing it, I, I, I took my demos that I made I muted the bass and the drums and exported those to my engineer. And so my band played along with the demos I made. And that way I could sit on the couch, hear it coming through the speakers and be like, that was the take, or we need to do that again because I could hear the song um, as it was meant to be without me being in the room playing it, um, which was a cool approach. It was a lot of fun to do it that way. Um, and then we just built everything off of the drum and bass tape. What did it do? What did this whole process do for your evolution as an artist? It gave me so much confidence. Um, <laughs> and it's weird because like before all of this, I kind of confused confidence and ego. And you know, anytime somebody would say, oh, you, you're so good at this. I'd be like, I don't, eh, I don't know. I'm like, don't, I couldn't take any kind of compliment. I couldn't really sit in, in myself and, and feel confident in what I've done. But after producing this record and hearing what I, what I did with my band and my engineer, I, I, it's, it's easier for, me to be confident in my abilities um and it was just a really necessary process i think for my evolution as an artist because i'm you know i'm trying to build a career where i just get to play arenas every night and i feel like in order to do that i've got to be more confident so it's like this is <laughs> this is the thing i think that pushed it into that territory um, so I'm really excited about it. Um, yeah. For you going from the rage you felt when creating and deciding on how you wanted to approach this album, the freedom you had while making this album to now touring and playing these songs live. What is that? like to see the end process obviously the album still has to come out but you're playing songs that you recorded during this during these sessions for this for this album and you've been in control of it all the way through to now playing what what's that like for you that that newness of having complete control from beginning to now the output of people absorbing it live It's pretty incredible. Um, 
because sometimes, you know, like even it's, it's weird. Like sometimes even if I co-write a song with somebody and I perform it, it doesn't feel like mine. Um, so having, you know, the ultimate control over all of these songs just makes me feel completely authentic. Like this is exactly how I felt in the moment when I write, wrote the song. This is, this is the the emotion, you know, that I'm going to perform with. And it's, it's interesting. It's almost like, like, like having a crush or something, you know, like a new crush. It's like this, this kind of butterfly feeling where, oh, we're, we're coming up on the set list to this new one. Like, here we go. Like it's, you know, scary and exciting and um, just really rewarding. Tell me about the white wolf. <laughs> oh man. Um, well, it's my second, the second color of my signature Epiphone, which is based on a Sheridan um, that I played for a really long time. And Epiphone approached me, wanted to do a signature and I, I freaked out and I, I was like, uh, of course, like, what are you talking about? Let's do it. And so Yes, it's white and it's got diamond F holes and I love playing it. It's so much fun to play. So yeah, um, the 335 style body and yeah, my favorite style of guitar. What was that like? Were you part of the process of designing it and all the creating it as well? Yeah, they, they said, you know, what do you want it to look like? Um, and I was like, well, I want it to look like a Sheridan because I love the Sheridan. It's just like a field, you know, it's so big, especially on me. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm kind of tiny, but I, I do love to play big guitars because I just love the way a big guitar sounds and there's so much feedback in it and so much you can do with humbucker pickups. And, um, we did a couple of iterations of the prototype and, uh, the diamond F holes are probably my favorite feature because it's, you know, it's like the Trini Lopez and Dave Grohl models are so expensive and, and to have an Epiphone with that feature, the price range, you know, it's, it's, it's cool to be able to walk into a store and buy a guitar with those diamond F holes. Cause it's before this, it's like you had to just drop so much money to get that. And, um, but it's interesting because, they feed back differently than regular F holes. So the pickups um, had to be low output pickups so it wouldn't squeal. Because the first prototype I made, I was like, let's make them high output. Like, let's go, like, you know, go big or go home. And then it just, you hit a fuzz pedal with those out, those uh, pickups and diamond F holes and it just squeals. And so um, the guys at Epiphone were like, well, let's make them low output. And, at first, I was a little bummed about it, but the low output is actually really great for fuzz pedals. So it's it's like the perfect guitar. And the other day, somebody was like, "What's your dream guitar?" And I was like, "I mean, it's this one. <laughs> <laughs> it's all I play." So it's, um, yeah, it's, sorry, I'm just like looking at it, like making sure I didn't miss anything about it. But um, yeah, it's the best. I'm I'm truly like 
still blown away that it's even a thing. <laughs> I talk to a lot of young artists and young bands, emerging artists and bands, and we all know, or most of us know that it's a struggle for a young artist and a band to get out and perform, get out and to, you know, to make music. There's a lot of things working against you, especially in today's age of music. Are you happy where you're at right now? Like, do you feel like you're in a, you're, you're in the place that you're supposed to be? Obviously there's always moving forward. Right. But, Coming from where you came from to now evolving as the artist, are you satisfied with where you're at right now? Yes. Which a month ago, I couldn't have said that. Um, and the reason is, uh, it's so interesting you ask this because I've been thinking a lot about it. Um, you know, obviously the goal is to be just selling out arenas every night. That's what I want to do. That I love, that's my ultimate goal because I love to perform. It's where I, I fully feel like I'm supposed to be. Um, and, you know, a, a month ago I went on the road and I was in a really dark headspace because at this point in my career, it's so up and down and so unpredictable. And, you know, one night the venue will be packed out. It'll be incredible. The next night I'll play for eight people. And, and the, the, the unknowns were really getting to me. And I thought, you know, I, <laughs> I thought to myself, I was really down on myself and I just thought like, what is the missing piece here? Like, what is the puzzle piece that's missing? I don't know what it looks like. I don't know where that puzzle piece is. I have no idea what needs to happen to break out. I have no idea. And I just felt really helpless and down on myself. And then I was talking to my wife about it. And she was like, I don't think you realize like how you're coming across. You're coming across as like, you're not grateful and you don't, you know, you're really just, you know, looking at the negatives. And I, I thought about that conversation for a long time. And, and I realized through that, it wasn't easy to realize it, but the missing piece is me and my own attitude and my own perception and the story that I was telling myself, the story that I was telling myself was I'm not where I'm, where I want to be. I'm not anything. I'm not successful. Like who cares? Nobody's going to come to my show. But then when I, when I started to tell a different story, like, you know what? Yes, I am where I want to be. I'm on the road. I'm performing. I'm, I have a guitar out in stores. There are people who care about my music, like telling myself that story flipped my mentality so drastically that things started to happen immediately. And it's like crazy how that happened. I mean, like there was a point and I just decided, you know what, I'm going to tell a different story. I'm not going to tell the story of that. I'm a, that I'm struggling like, because I'm not. And so 
once I started to tell myself that story and tell other people that story that I'm not struggling, that I'm doing really great and things are happening, things actually started to happen. And the next day I got offered to open for school at like the Budweiser arena. And it was just really nuts, like how things just came so quickly. Like, so I will say, I mean, it is such a struggle for, for bands out there because like touring's hard. I mean, that takes a lot out of you, especially if you don't have somebody to drive a bus for you or somebody to, to manage your money or somebody to sell your merch. Like it's so much work, but the story that you tell is really the thing that's going to happen. You know, if I say I'm struggling, I'm going to struggle. If I say I'm not, if I say I'm doing great, great things are going to happen. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, the, the, the puzzle piece that I, I had to really realize was it's not missing. It's me. It's my own attitude. And I would say that to any band on the road feeling the way that I felt a month ago, because it, it got to a point where I was like, should I just give up? Like, should I stop doing this? <laughs> Does anybody really care? And if you tell yourself people do care, and if you tell yourself it's going to work out, it will, you know? Um, and so I can confidently say, yes, yes, I'm happy where I'm at. Um, it wasn't by any means easy to get to a point where I can say that, but yes. <laughs> You've got tour dates across the country now. You're playing in, in uh, man, I think you you end up in uh, Arizona, I think, at the end of the tour. Um, are you, now that this album's on the verge of coming out, is there plans to really tour this next year? What are your plans to do? Are you coming to Chicago anytime soon? And <laughs> that's oh, all so. for personal selfish reasons. So, <laughs> man, I hope so. I love Chicago. Um, I think at the moment, so I do, I tour up until mid November, pretty much off and on. And then next year, I'll go to Europe, um, supporting Gaslight Anthem the UK and Europe and that'll be for about a month and then I'm sure I'll tour the state I'm sure I will um it's just a matter of when I get the email like hey you're gonna go here I'm like okay let's go <laughs> but <laughs> um yeah I love playing Chicago and I love love that city and yeah I'll definitely let you know though when it when it happens and get you on the list <laughs> oh, appreciate that. Gaslight Anthem. Yeah. I mean, I love those guys. I love that band. Me too. Yeah. Me too. Yeah, I listened to them all through high school. And then Brian and I connected on Instagram and we just became really fast friends. And he's just the best. And he's so supportive of emerging artists. And, and it's really rare to meet somebody like him. And the rest of that band is just, they're just so great. They are. And yeah, I just love every one of them. I really like his uh, solo albums that he did. I think he did one with Butch Walker. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, dude, Brian Fallon being produced by Butch Walker. I mean, come on. Like, <laughs> yeah. <totally>, you know, <laughs> totally. Awesome. Yeah. 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 That's great. That's going to be a great tour. I mean, I know they just came through Chicago at the end of last year in the fall. And they always play, 
either the Riv or the Aragon. They always I think sell it out. They always do two nights. But yeah, that's such a great band. It's going to be a good opportunity for you. So that's awesome. Yeah, be a lot of fun. It'll be so great. I'm so excited. The new album out October 20th, which is just a few Fridays away. It's called The Blowback. And um, it's awesome. And the current single right now is Dead End Luck. So go check that out on all streaming platforms. Emily, it's been a blast talking with you. It's been a nice, interesting chat. Likewise. So much fun talking to you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Make sure you check out that Buddy Guy Red House and that Magic Sand. Yeah. I'm going to write that down right now. Buddy Guy Red House. You'll listen to you'll listen to each one at least a dozen times because you'll be like, oh my, this is incredible. Awesome. Written down. I'm definitely going to check it out right now. <laughs> it's awesome. Well, well, good luck with the album. And the first two singles are absolutely extraordinary. So congrats on that. And again, thank you very much for the time. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of the day. We'll see you again soon, I hope. Will do. Everyone, that's Emily Wolf. Get the album, The Blowback, on October 20th. Check out her two singles now on all streaming platforms. She's got more music before that, too, as well. So check it all out. Thanks again for listening. Take care of each other. Stay safe. And we will talk again soon. Thank you. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.